Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Live from Salem Center, it's WXMN, it's the 2019 Holiday Special Broadcasting on location from Krakoa with your hosts, Jonah, Kyle, Dylan, featuring musical guest, Kevo, and now, your host, me, it's Nico, I bet you guys thought I was the guy that does the SNL stuff, but Kevo, you said that guy, that guy doesn't do the SNL stuff anymore. Yeah, I can't remember what the guy's name is. If you ever need to check if something's like a good band name, or if you want to change your name to a celebrity name. Just check if it works in that voice, and I feel like you can figure out if you're going to have a successful career. Well, anyway, this is, of course, X is for Podcast. We are Krakoa, as many names as you can throw at it. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Kevo. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive the experience. Auld Lang Sign and Merry Happy Restart, and Year Reboot, right? We're rebooting the year. Yes. And in accordance with the Solar Lunar Axis Tilt Reboot, we're taking a look at the year in X-Men, 2019 was like the year of X-Men in so many ways. It really was. Seriously, House of X, Powers of Ten, Dawn of X. It was a hox pox docs kind of 2019. And it was also a great year just to take a look at some of the classic material as well. We had a blast on all of the different feeds of X's for Podcast. And we kicked the series off with 70s X-Men Explosion. Our first installment of the X-Men Explosion was Uncanny X-Men with Nico and Jonah. Ah, yeah. Such great issues we covered. It was, it was, it was occasionally tough, but you know, I had a good time learning about who the X-Men were. Jonah, you and I dissected those issues within an inch of our sanity. You mean who certain X-Men were while others got the back burner and even in their own home slash castles. Yeah, Banshee was really never allowed to talk anywhere except Marvel Team Up. Up next was classic X-Men with Kyle, Jonah, and Nico. I have no idea how we got through this. There were some stories that I appreciated and I understood what they were trying trying to do but at other points man they drop the ball as just an excuse to draw and write more gene yeah i think i completely wiped this from my memory ridiculous backup stories with the x-men running around parties going to foreign lands to i don't know be xenophobic it was it was wild it was bad up next was the champions with nico and kyle where we made our home buddy i will say that the champions were a thing that did not work very well both story-wise and team-wise, so kind of glad that that's over. Really not sure what they championed, but- They championed themselves, obviously. And not well. <laughs> yeah, not well at all. The fourth installment to explode from this era was Captain Britain featuring myself and Nico. These were the stories that started the sort of like American invasion of Britain. So I guess we kind of revolutionary ward there, printing presses. Bob's your uncle. Oi, oi. <laughs> you know, it's all kind of a blur now that I would say I overall really enjoy the character, but I don't think that I would go back and read most of it. Scally lads, Manchester United. Bangers and mash. 
Epcot. And we're done. <laughs> Up fifth, Beast featuring Nico, Jonah, and Kyle. Ah, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> when Beast convinced a computer to commit suicide. He also created a really creepy latex mask of himself. But I mean, same. No. No, 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 no. No, no, Nico. No. You would not. And then his entire storyline just completely died. And he turned blue. He turned blue, yes. And then they kind of went north and disappeared. And and lastly, for the 70s explosion, we had Marvel Team Up featuring Nico, Jonah, Kyle, and myself. Marvel Team Up was a galaxy of stars is what it was. <laughs> it was a gift that wouldn't stop chasing us down. Marvel Team Up was a traumatic experience. How would these kids probably smash their action figures together? Let's just write that out. <laughs> Outside of being a promotion for Spider-Man and his many friends, like Johnny Storm, there was nothing to these. Not at all. Love that Jonah pointed out that Johnny Storm occasionally took over the book, because while all I targeted here was Marvel Team-Up, another member of the Fantastic Four also had his own title. The Thing had Marvel 2-in-1, which I forced you guys to read some of. <laughs> well... Everything got a whole lot better when we hop-skipped our asses into the 1980s with the 80s Mutant Mania, and we got to take a look at our Dark Phoenix retrospective. I swore it wasn't going to be as long as it was, and then, like, the thing ran, like, four and a half hours. But at the end of the day, Kevo, Jonah, Kyle, and myself, the four of us came together to talk about what I love talking about the most, Jean Grey, and why she could eat an entire galaxy. Ah, finally some good stories. Anyone who thought that you were not going to talk as long as possible about Jean Jean Grey is a damn fool. We say this as we're staring at a Jean Grey figurine as a dark phoenix staring at us ready to burn us all down. From Kyle. <laughs> now, it wasn't all sadness and pain. We also got to expand our ranks the way the X-Men expanded theirs. The X-Men brought on everybody's favorite young lady from Chicago. And so did we. Dylan joined the show and he joined us for Uncanny X-Men. And everyone thought I was from Chicago when I'm not. <laughs> But in all seriousness, Dylan, it was amazing bringing you on. I know you came into the show sometime around the God Loves Man Kills experience, so a lot of your episodes haven't aired yet. But you and Jonah really brought a great balance to the X-Force. And it's really been interesting to hear you on the warpath <laughs> about characters that you feel maybe get overlooked. <laughs> Way to use all the buzzwords. <laughs> Thank you for giving me credit <laughs> on um, um, this. Mm, so Jonah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm good. Yes, let's move on to Jonah. Yeah, we got some <laughs> pretty great stories out of this era. You know, we got The Brood. We got Days of Future Past where we met Mystique, whose powers are zero effective in combat. Now, Dylan, in all seriousness, you came on board as Carol was leaving, which was kind of a bummer because I know you're a big Carol fan. Were there any stories that you felt like you missed out on by coming in when you did? Actually, no. I like right where I came in because Jean's not in the issues. But we have Madeline instead. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> <gasps> oh, Kyle, you're getting sent to the dungeon. <laughs> Right? X-Men Classic, at this point, took a bit of a different turn. Claremont was no longer the only architect on it, and we wound up reading X-Men Classic in, like, everything. We read it for Dazzler, we read it for X-Men. This title featured myself, Dylan, Kyle, Jonah, and Kevo. Everybody read a little bit of this title, and it was a lot of fun at points, just getting to talk still as a group, because our shows became a little bit more disparate in this era. But I was really happy that Marvel Team-Up came to a screeching halt. Same. Agreed. 
agreed. There's not really much to say about it except for it being everything else about the Marvel Universe. And hey, here's a page of X-Men. Speaking of things that only contained like a page of X-Men, Dazzler and the Defenders took kind of like an alternating spot in our roster covered by Jonah, myself, and Dylan. And Kyle, that's because you've switched over to help launch Weekly We Are Krakoa. You're on more than ever. But I feel like we've really been giving Dazzler a hard time. Well, life's giving her a hard time. Yeah. And by life, I mean the writers at Marvel during this time who didn't know how to write or draw women and tell compelling stories without them being a damsel in distress. Jonah pretty much hit every nail on the head with that. Dazzler had a very awful time in her beginning stages and middle stages and every stage, even the stage she sang on. Poor Dazzler. Well, I mean, let's be real. She's taking down the Enchantress these days, dude. So, I roll. Of course, the Enchantress wasn't the only magic that we saw. We also saw the Defenders with the likes of Doctor Strange and Damien Hellstrom and a whole lot of the Beast being kind of lascivious. You know, the Beast really didn't read well for us up through now. And speaking of 80s magic at Marvel, no discussion of the 80s magic Marvel scene would be complete without a detour into Captain Britain and the Black Knight journey into Otherworld in Captain Britain's continuing adventures covered by myself and Kevo. Man, that took a long time. <laughs> that was a lot of two and three page stories in black and white, man. It was just way too decompressed. It was a type of storytelling that has long since faded out of popularity where they were purposely doing everything they could to draw this story out without having very much of a fuller plot underlying all of it. And, oh my god, it was exhausting. From there, we started covering the birth of the Marvel crossover. We covered the contest of champions. It took everybody on the network, it would seem. It was myself, Jonah, Kyle, Kevo, Dylan, and new host Mikey, who helps Jonah and I cover Alpha Flight. This was a lot of fun. If I'm not mistaken, it's where we determined a whole number of the contestants would be uncut. Yes, noticeably in that episode, we forgot that a Wolverine's foreskin does grow back. Which really makes naming his son Dokken interesting. I'm assuming that Dokken does like the Doc. It stands to reason. <laughs> Only with Bullseye, though. Oh, Lester. <laughs> but, like, he does it as a joke. Or he makes Lester think it's a joke. How do you Doc as a joke? <laughs> Just give me your penis. I want to do something funny. It would make sense if you read the stories. <laughs> if we don't start selling t-shirts that say, give me your penis, I want to do something funny. Oh, could we please? I want to get it on a beanie. And then no homo on the back. No homo is out. A little homo for everybody. Ooh, a little homo for everybody. Homo for some, miniature American flags for others. Yes. Everybody loves a pocket gap. And pans for the pans. <laughs> Oh and oh boy speaking of people we love mikey's not with us but i don't mean he's died. i was just I gonna just say like, god do we need to say rest in peace mikey no mikey is wonderful and amazing and i just wished him a very merry christmas and i love him to death and couldn't be more excited to see alpha flight with him as he moves on to that great comic book land up north god, you're still making him sound like he's dead very much one day he and i will be together again here on this network and his voice will come to us. So Mikey the Ghost 
<laughs> Mikey, the straight ghost, will always love you. Well, no, we talked about how he yeah, represented all things straight. In yeah, in contest, he was the only straighty. <laughs> and speaking of a contest of epic proportions, everybody trying to talk on New Mutants when it was me, Dylan, Kyle, and Jonah trying to figure out how to all be on a show at once is amazing. Those are some of my favorite episodes. Oh, rest in peace, Shan. Oh. Yeah, that's oh, pretty Shan. funny because we're so out of order on this. That's coming out in like May. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you met yeah, her I was yet. trying to think of something to say, but didn't know because it's not out yet. But uh, okay, rest in peace, Shan. Hi, Amara. What's up, X-Force? <laughs> no, that, that one's even fun. That's a reach. We not even recorded that. You have become unstuck from time. Stop talking. I'm so confused right now. That's the point of Exiles. So... <laughs> Nobody could believe it when I said to the team, hey guys, do you want to go to Twice Weekly? And do you guys want to cover new comics too? And everybody was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People meowed. People sort of yawn and meowed. Everybody sort of got cats horny. Crickets. Covered first was the Danger Room Files, title and character retrospectives by Jonah, Nico, and Dylan. These were really wonderful because they tested the limits of Dylan and Mai's memory and the tense strength of Jonah's suspension of disbelief on story believability. <laughs> when we explained that Lorna falling in love with Dupe and turning on Havoc because she loves him helped bring Apocalypse back. Wait, what? What? You know, that's the exact response that Jonah had. I feel like every episode for the past two months has always mentioned Dupe. Don't you know this is a Dupe podcast? All we talk about is Dupe. We are Dupe Koa is brought to you by Dupe Industries. Everybody get your Dupe on. Dupe! 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 <laughs> Up next was We Are Krakoa, House of X, and Powers of X, or Hoxpox, by Nico, Jonah, Kyle, and Dylan. That was my first live X-Men reading, and it did not disappoint. No, and you know what else didn't disappoint? That gorgeous hardcover with the reversible fucking dust jacket. Fuck me, that's so fucking great. I'm gonna need to buy that for myself. Our Hoxpox episodes were, I think, some of my favorite episodes because of it just being something so fresh and so new for all four of us to experience at the same time, it was a lot of fun. There was a magic to it, yeah. No, she wasn't in those, unfortunately. Uh-huh. <laughs> Following Hoxpox, naturally, we are Krakoa covered Dawn of X with Nico, Jonah, Kyle, and Dylan. This is where we really started to grow, huh? Yeah, at this point, we were like, everybody, clap your hands, we're gonna go twice weekly forever. Yay. It was, sorry, Joey. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Joey. <laughs> Honestly, I think that that was probably the best idea that we've, we've done. I think it's it's brought us even closer together as a team. I very much agree. I also feel like it's made understanding the books like more fun because everybody's like, did you catch this? Did you catch this? Did you catch this? We're like the most anal retentive, aggressive queer book club. Gray Malkin Roundtables, the series discussions featuring these four handsome men once again, Nico, Jonah, Kyle, and Dylan. It can be really hard to keep all of these diamond-like facets of the X-Men clear in like a linear sense. So every now and then we just had to pause and to check in with everybody and figure out what they were thinking because in the course of discussing these books it can be so difficult. We're talking about 22 pages and 120 panels and then we're doing five of those an episode. It can be so easy to forget one of the 600 panels you wanted to discuss because those splash pages are so flashy and it's the big moments that tend to obscure the special character moments 
And I feel like the Grey Malkin Roundtables gave us a chance to discuss those moments in a greater detail and really bring to light the things that made the X-Men special. We also did it in some really fun ways, especially the game show episode of Apocalypse and Sinister. Oh, those were so fun. Yeah, because I don't even think the hosts knew what was going on at some points, and that's exactly how Sinister would like it. (laughs) We want to thank Kevo for coming out and celebrating the end of our broadcasting year with us. It was so much fun to have you on the first half of our sign-off episode. Are there any Captain Britain New Year well wishes you want to send to the listeners before you sign off? Oh, to the listeners. I guess be safe, be healthy, all that normal crap. I thought you were asking what were my wishes for, like, the Captain Britain we're going to have to read this year. And I was going to be like, color again, mostly. (laughs) Cohesive plot, less filler, and more action from the man himself. Do I get to meet Pete soon? Pete is a good decade off, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Until you return to the pages of Marvel UK, Kevo, we're so glad you've come along. Pip pip, cheerio. So sometimes I kind of feel like I was given a handful of Krakoa flowers. So somebody was just like, here's a handful of Krakoa flowers and you can put them wherever you want. And I was like, hmm, okay. So now I have one more Krakoa flower and I just, I need to do something amazing with this Krakoa flower. And so please welcome Regina to the show. Hello. Welcome Regina. Thank you. Regina, you've actually secretly recorded a number of segments that haven't aired yet, which is really exciting for me because I know how great you are and I've listened to you talk about all the things you know and love already, but I don't think our audience has yet because they're not chronoscape. <laughs> so could you give us a little bit of background on you, X-Men, favorite mutants? I have been an X-Men fan since I was a little girl. My daddy introduced me to them. And of course, my first love is the Goblin Queen. When I was very small, he had a bunch of Inferno comics and of course she's on the cover in her all of her glory and I was just like this woman is fabulous I want to be just like her when I grow up (laughs) (laughs) as Jonah likes to point out Madeline likes to share her personal inferno with everyone (laughs) but also in the page we will be talking about today Emma also is showing her personal frost to everyone so the winter is coming oh my god I went for a long period where I didn't actually read any I was just looking at my dad's covers and then when I was in middle school I was kind of a reject and outcast you will and one of my buddies introduced me to Psylocke. He had a card and I was like, who is this badass ninja? Then he starts explaining all the stuff that's been going on with her. I'm like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) So then I started reading X-Men comics. I love Madeline Pryor. I love her to death. She's always going to be my favorite. She can do no wrong. Ironically, I don't like Emma that much. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I don't, I don't know that you're allowed to be on the show. Hold on. I need a minute. I got to I need a minute. I was going to say, Regina, you're on a show with four people who love Emma. (laughs) I don't like her. I love her, but I don't always like her. Okay, because for a second I was like, you're like, let me clarify. (laughs) Yes, I don't like her. And I was like, I feel like you're digging this grave deeper and deeper. But we need people on the show who could want to dig their own graves with opinions like that. We need people to be wrong sometimes. Yes. It helps us seem even righter. Righter. Do completely understand beyond what you mean. I honestly, I have a really similar relationship with Madeline and the many iterations of her. I genuinely think she is one of the most sympathetic, heartbreaking characters in the history of the franchise and every chance she's ever had to come back, she shows her own passion that drives her and whether it 
it was her initial incarnation, Inferno, Queen Jean Madeline in the pages of X-Man, or it's Sisterhood Madeline in Uncanny 500 and on. Completely get what you mean about Emma, because there are just some characters who their nuance and their depth and their complexity requires that kind of ambivalent relationship to survive. It's loving a character for who they are. You don't always love what a writer wants to do with them. We can get into a discussion about Emma Frost anytime because I have so much I would love to say about her. I do love her. I really do. I just don't always like her. You know, it's kind of like when you've got that one friend that's overly honest and sometimes you just can't talk to them because they hurt your feelings so much even though what they're saying is completely true. Look, a lot of people have need for me in their life, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely more of a ladies character. I love almost all of the ladies. The only guy character that I super, super love has got to be Original Cable. He's my man. But I love Monet and Moonstar. I freaking love No Girl. I know Dylan kind of has a different opinion of that, but... You don't like No Girl? No, I love her! No, no, not you. You're you're brilliant. You like Cable. You like No Girl. You're fine. <laughs> He's talking to me, Regina. We haven't ever had a discussion about No Girl. <laughs> Are you going to tell me you don't like Martha? She's the brain in a fish journey. I stand and love Martha. I don't understand why you don't like her. Uh, okay, well, I want to protect poor Kyle, who's in the middle of reading New X-Men right now. She's a brain balloon. I don't want Kyle's <laughs> opinions of these amazing characters to be tarnished by the rust that is Dylan's <laughs> lack of love. Could we get back to introducing Regina? <laughs> So, Regina, tell me, what's your favorite X-Men era? It's got to be the 90s when I was actually first really introduced to them. There have been a few times that I've, I've kind of lost focus, maybe dropped out of reading for a little bit, but I keep coming back, so that's got to mean something. <laughs> and do you have, like, a favorite title? This name, you just get, like, mad hungry for it? Any general X-Men book, I was so sad when they discontinued the uncanny and then they started breaking everything up. But if it says X-Men or X-Force, I love both of those titles in general. Well, Regina, not only are we happy to have you, but every time the four men on this podcast come together to discuss how much women deserve respect and visibility, we're doing a serious disservice by not having a woman to show that inclusion. And so I want to thank you for joining us bunch of crazy Y chromosome mishaps (laughs) and showing us your fandom and what it is about X-Men you love. So I'm really glad that for your first episode, we're not going to be talking about X-Men at all. Kyle, I do believe that you and I, when we were discussing Marvel Comics 1000 by every single motherfucking writer and artist ever, who's ever lived, ever, when, except (laughs) there were some notable omissions, Brian Bendis. So when we were discussing this, the earlier years were the ones that you had said you wanted to cover. And I think it's because you had said you didn't really connect with the work as a whole. You felt like an emotional disconnect from this. I had a complete disconnect from the entire book, so... I felt that the earlier stuff seemed a little more interesting, if you could uh, classify my feelings towards it that way. Absolutely. So what I've done is I've taken the pages of Marvel Comics 1000 and Marvel Comics 1001 and using clues from the dialogue, the year it was placed, etc. I've interpolated more or less where all of the pages of the shuffle issue 1001 would wind up if they were to be organized properly. So the thing I want to say first is I know a lot of people couldn't really pull together exactly the story that was trying to be crafted. Really, at the end of the day, 
what Marvel is attempting to do is they're attempting to create a classic Golden Age style character in the form of pulp magazine stories. They decided to string together just about every use of a faceless masked character throughout their lineage and pull together this narrative about the Eternity Mask and the Masked Raider. In the 1940 page, we learn a little bit more about the Eternity Mask, and we discover throughout the 1940s and 50s that the mask transferred hands over and over again. The mask is connected to everybody from the Black Knight to Jimmy Woo, and by the time the mask finally makes its way into the Marvel Universe proper in 1967, it's through a weird connection that Marvel is excited to make for us that has never been created. A minor character in three issues of Fantastic Four by the name of Jerome Hamilton is said to have become the even more minor character, Blind Justice, who would go on to appear in two issues of Hawkeye's Avengers Solo in 1987, issues 8 and 9. They would go on to say that Blind Justice attacked Weapon Alpha in 1978. From there, things get a little bit dicey until 1990 when Night Thrasher gets a massive upgrade into being a part of this like super Illuminati. And then in 2009, they brought in Adam, the Blue Marvel. So now we have this thing, the Eternity Mask, which grants anyone who wears it power equal to the person they're facing, provided it's a pretty fair fight. I myself don't mind that Marvel is trying to come up with, like, a mask of Dr. Manhattan that they can give out. It's a little weird that he looks a lot like Rorschach, but I mean, you know, who watches the Watch Marvels? So, with all that said, we have a handful of ideas of what this is supposed to be about. In 1939, we get a single panel of the three X's in Marvel Comics number one. And we also get the debut of the Human Torch. And yeah, both really important. The three X's, that's something that Marvel's trying to make happen right now in the original Human Torch and Android. They're always trying to make him work. But I think it's kind of strange that they left out that Namor first appeared in 1939. That just seems like not something to leave out. Or perhaps they could have mentioned that Timely Comics as a company formed. Those just seemed like bigger deals. I agree, especially with how popular X-Men is within the past year, with Namor being one of the first mutants in Marvel Comics, because he's half mutant, half Atlantean, you would think that they would throw that in there. Just drive home the little ankle wings. <laughs> in 1940, the three X's appear in Mystic Comics number one. Okay, but also, the original Black Widow, Clairvoyant, appeared. Okay, if you guys are ever looking to understand the era that Marvel is trying to conjure up, a brilliant writer by the name of J. Michael Straczynski, a number of years ago, got his hands on 12 classic Marvel Golden Age pulp characters from the Timely era. This was known as The Twelve. It's an amazing 13-issue miniseries with a one-issue follow-up years later. Paulo Rivera did some work on it. It's a really great series, and it would give you a really strong window into a lot of these characters if you're ever looking for it. Also, this was the first time that there was ever intercompany crossover in 1940. Namor faced the Human Torch and burned down the fucking Brooklyn Bridge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Claire Voyant. It's a good drag name. <laughs> I will say, I think I would have appreciated the page about Black Widow because I would have loved to see one of the first ladies in comics, especially within Marvel's history. I feel like that would have been really important to just have a small little note page, whatever. Not to say three X's aren't important for what Marvel is trying to tell us, 
but it feels a little poignant when that sort of importance of breakthrough is missing. 100% agree with that. So 1941, The Thunderer is created in Daring Mystery Comics number 7. Oh, okay, or Captain America! (laughs) How did they skip over that? They wanted to use Cap for his movies because the year that Cap got a serial, not as many interesting things happened. A lot of this you're going to come to find is just like futzing around with dates to get what you want out of things. A couple of times they go with the publication date. A couple of times they go with the release date to make certain things fall in certain years. Hmm. They were just really trying to like buy this perfect knife set. Cherry pick what they wanted. That makes a lot more sense than a QVC knife set. Thank you so much. But also welcome to the stage, Cherry Pick. But also welcome to the stage, Cherry Pick. She's going to give you fruit and cut your chest Oh my god, are we going to have a drag queen for every year? That's an ice pick. That's that's an ice pick. 1942 is Citizen V's first appearance in Daring Mystery Comics number 8. Yeah, they were really desperate to figure out what to do with some of these shuffle pages. So rather than putting the year cap started, they just kind of stick him on a page that by the contents of it, this has to be a 1942. 42 page because of the meta covers that was the weird psa page where cap was trying to get the kids to burn all their books yep that was the page where cap decided to adopt mccarthyism but that was weird that was really weird completely unweird is the fact that this year saw the most devastating thing to happen to marvel for some 30 years that was the year that kirby and simon had enough and quit for dc oh wow that's kind of big yeah that's actually how stan lee positioned to take over the company because the big old names left and the company wound up floundering. So leaving out that Kirby and Simon left for an exclusive deal at DC makes a lot of sense because it heralded a rough era for the Marvel industry. Well, in 1943, Miss America debuts in Marvel Mystery Comics number 49. So they replaced this version of Miss America with America Chavez. (laughs) That's not the Miss America from that 40s at all. Okay, I was going to say I didn't think Miss America, the Young Avenger, (laughs) was made in the 1940s. No, she was actually created by the amazing Joe Casey in a really poorly received miniseries called Vengeance. However, also important to mention this year was Powerhouse Pepper. He was a lovable, friendly, simple person like Dennis the Menace and can't control his strength, but is a genuinely nice guy. So he goes to hug people and knocks them to the ground and goes, oh no, oops. His head looked like a penis. Yes, his head looks very like a penis. We don't we don't talk about Powerhouse Pepper. And I read a few of these strips, and let me tell you... They're awful. No one should have been paid for this. Oh god, you're right. It does look like a penis. <laughs> Giant penis. <laughs> Moving on. In 1944, the Captain America serial hits movie theaters. But we also get my actual favorite thing in the entirety of Timely Comics. I love the sitcom suite of Millie the Model, Tessie the Typist, and Nellie the Nurse. It is problematic that they thought that these women needed jobs that they could see women doing. But a number of these characters would go on to survive 70 years. Millie the Model continues to appear now. She's had miniseries. She had strips going through the 70s. I love that these women not only survived this long, but I really wish Marvel had taken the chance to highlight that these three books launched together this year. The sitcom suite of 1944 was a great change to putting women first in comics, even if it was on the sidelines, and I just really wish that had been championed a little bit better. If I had my way and I don't even know her, Nellie the nurse would be a mutant. Oh, and so would Tessie the typist. I would have her be the fastest typist ever. (laughs) 
she could work with Sage. So 1945, Patsy Walker gets her own self-titled comic book. I know it comes up literally every time she comes up. I, I deal with Patsy from Jessica Jones. The performance is great. And I think my favorite joke is, it's just Patsy! But <laughs> I did a lot of research for this show. Nothing happened in 1945. No book saw monthly publication. Any new character introduced was a minor character. It was a dearth of material. Wow. Well, that was a pretty rough year, wasn't it? Well, let's move on to slightly better times. In 1946, All Winners Squadron first appears in All Winners Comics number 19. And we also get Blonde Phantom. Okay, so 1946 is the greatest year of all time. Number one, (laughs) the All Winners Squadron has two fucking appearances. The team that they later retro actively created the invaders out of team that inspired the avengers the team that led to the silver age of marvel appeared twice ever (laughs) wow it is so bizarre weird as hell but people love it so much they have significantly more silver age and modern age appearances than they had golden age appearances however what you do need to know is that the blonde phantom is basically blonde badass model batman Where's that book? (laughs) Okay. And honestly, any time that Marvel is willing to pay Marguerite Savage to do anything at all is a really good move. 1947. Nemora premieres in Marvel Mystery Comics number 82. Uh, yeah, and, you know, like, the only other thing that happened this year was Stan Lee got written into an issue of a comic. (laughs) He got written into Marjorie number 36. It is kind of interesting that they would showcase Namora's debut, but not Namor's at the beginning of this. It's a little little weird. It is bizarre. Yeah. 1948, The Black Rider debuts in All Western Winners number two. Yeah, you know what? That plays a whole lot better than nearly every single person in the entire company, save for seven, are laid off. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, nope. 1949, unfortunately, Tessie the Typist ends its run with number 23. It just sucks that they're like, yep, nope, she ended. And not like, yep, nope, she was great. It is important to note that 1949 was the year that Marvel abandoned the superhero. They actually changed over to Marvel Mystery Comics and worked predominantly on horror, mystery, and suspense stories to kind of fit in with the 1950s shift in comics. Huh, okay. Well, new decade means a new hero. 1950s brings us Marvel Boy in Marvel Boy number one. Also, following the bizarre name change, Captain America saw its final issue of publication. 1951, Strange Tales premieres. This was also the year that Atlas Comics, the successor to Timely Comics, debuted. Atlas existed under a multi-tiered publishing imprint, and it was quite a weird ride that Atlas took, but not a whole lot really happened for a little while. Hmm. 1952, Journey into Mystery debuts. So this page was like a forgotten page from Journey into Mystery by Kieran Gillen, so it was worth the price of the book in its entirety. But it's also worth it to note that Venus is introduced here, and this Venus is not the later Marvel Venus who would go on to appear in Hulk. Journey into Mystery, that's 
Thor and stuff, right? Yeah, that's Thor's book. Wow, I didn't realize that that's been around that long. Yeah, but he didn't appear in it until much later. Okay. (laughs) Well then, 1953 brings us Marvel's first parody series, Crazy. Parody books were all the rage in the 1950s and 60s, but Marvel didn't really have a great run of it outside of mocking themselves. It's more notable that Menace debuted this year, which would go on to introduce Simon Garth, the zombie, who remains the character the zombie to this day. In 1954, Gorilla Man first appears in... Is this really the name of the the comic? (laughs) Men's Adventures number 26? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, Captain America came back the fuck out of nowhere. Seriously, they just printed three more issues of Captain America. That's really random. No lie. Almost like a decade later, they're just like, oh, no, he's back. And those appearances have since been retconned to be a different guy wearing the Captain America suit who was mind wiped to believe he was captain america to try and bring hope to people 1955 black knight is introduced in black knight number one as was the rawhide kid which you know it's a good thing that he was created before they decided to make him gay because now he would have been created and called the bareback boy oh my god <laughs> 1956 jimmy woo first appeared jimmy in woo! <laughs> oh my god Sorry, I love Jimmy Woo. <laughs> so yeah, Jimmy Woo first appears in 1956's Yellow Claw number one. Now, sharp-eared listeners are going to recognize this fact, having come up a number of times. But in 1956, Atlas Comics switched distributors from Atlas News Company to American News Company, which later that same year was found guilty of a monopoly. Ultimately, this led to a chain of events that left Marvel forced to use printers, like physical, like the printing press company the printer they had to use was owned by dc so dc mocked them by limiting them to eight titles a month for years and this is the cause of that this changeover and then the argument of monopoly this is all where that began 1956 Huh, okay. okay. 1957, The Black Rider Rides Again premieres. You know, I'm so glad they wanted to bring up a premiere because it's a whole lot better than every single title at Marvel is canceled. <laughs> Yikes. 1958, Jack Kirby brings sci-fi to Marvel with Strange World number one. Now, they couldn't really say that he had returned two or three years earlier to do some covers because they didn't want to make it sound like his relationship with Stan was quite as precarious as it was, but one of the things was Jack Kirby was given room to create in his own way. Also, very sadly, Miss America saw her title come to a close. 1959, The Hulk's longtime home, Tales to Astonish, is introduced. Okay, but that's, like, the least important thing. Tales of Suspense was also launched. Stan Lee took over Millie the Model following a 10-year run by a guy who would go on to basically run Archie Comics, a guy by the name of Dan DiCarlo. Also, Lee's Millie the Model was so popular, it launched a spinoff, A Date with Millie, which then had a second volume, and then a third volume, and a fourth volume continuing all the way through 1967. So, don't get me wrong, the Hulk's initial home launching here is great, but 
Stan Lee took over for a character with a 10-year run and then would go on to write two simultaneous books for this character for seven years. That's 14 years of stories about this romance character. That deserved highlighting here as well. 1960, Groot first menaces the world in Tales to Astonish, number 13. He was just took a big scary tree monster. I would not have expected that. Yeah, they were just like, he's cool. Come hang out with us. <laughs> also, it's important to note that Battle, which was the final but most successful Atlas War Con finally saw its death knell in the year 1960. It had been a long run for war comics, but America no longer thought war was something to glorify to children in comic book form. 1961, Fantastic Four number one is published. And also, the first books to ever be given the Marvel Comics name. As a matter of fact, those first books were Patsy Walker number 95 and Journey into Mystery number 69. 1962, Spider-Man debuts in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Also, Thor, Hulk, Scrolls, The Return of Namor, Ant-Man, Hank Pym, you know, The Wasp. All of these people debuted this year? Yeah, you'd think in the issue they would have made like a two-page thing for that. Yeah, that's kind of a big year. It's a lot of different characters, but you know what? My boy Spidey may or may not deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Here comes another big year. 1963, Iron Man is introduced in Tales of Suspense number 39. And the X-Men, and the Avengers form, and Doctor Strange, and all of his side characters, and the Watcher, like, everyone! (laughs) But Iron Man, Nico... I'm giving the microphone a look right now. (laughs) (laughs) 1964, Captain America is revived from the ice in Avengers number four. Which is immediately secondary to Daredevil, thank you, the first ever superhero romance title at Marvel. 1965, the Inhumans first appear in Fantastic Four number 45. We also get a bit more with the the Watcher. Yeah, this was the year that we came to discover that the Marvel cosmic side of things kind of shared a space on the blue side of the moon, which would go on to play host to a number of major Marvel crossovers. And, you know, I'm not trying to be like a whiny man baby or anything, but also the first Silver Age appearance of Red Skull and Kazar, two Golden Age characters, were brought back this year. And and it could be of note that Reed and Sue married this year. I'm actually probably in the huge minority on this, but I'm happy that they decided to showcase the Inhumans in this panel of the book. I know not very many people like the Inhumans, but I do. When I first read it, I pointed out to Nico, oh, it's that one guy from that Dazzler issue. I like shot him the craziest look. I was like, that is Black Oh my God. <laughs> and I had to be like, yes, I know. It was a joke. <laughs> Nineteen sixty six. The Black Panther is created in Fantastic Four number fifty two. This page was written by Christopher Priest, who did a phenomenal run on Black Panther, so big fan of this page in general. Once again, though, it's kind of interesting the way time would fall together. The year that Black Panther is introduced is also the year Vibranium first appeared, except it appeared in Daredevil. Oh. Oh, and, you know, Galactus. Galactus appeared this year, and Journey into Mystery became Thor's book. Like, they really picked weird shit. (laughs) 
Wow, that that was a long time between Journey into Mystery and Thor. Yeah, it was something like 70 issues. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 1967, Adam Warlock is introduced as him in Fantastic Four number 67. But also the original failed Ghost Rider who was kind of like a cowboy? A cowboy? Yeah, like with a horse. And he wore white, no flaming skull. So what? he was getting married is what you were saying. Yes, he was a bride marrying his lovely horse groom. Oh my. We don't joke about horse grooms on this show anymore. No. Not after the accident. Not after the accident, no. But it's also important to not brand X debuted that year, and not brand X would go on to represent Marvel's ability to poke fun at itself until they came up with Waha. So this was a pretty cool way to do it. Waha? 1968, we get Carol Danvers first appearing in Marvel Superheroes number 13. I'm so glad Kelly Sue got to write the Captain Marvel page. It's very fitting. You know, she is the writer most associated with the current iteration of Carol. And once again, it's one of those things where I wish that each page could have had like a list of items because 1968 also saw Tales of Suspense turn into Captain America with issue 100 tales to astonish turned into incredible hulk with issue 102 strange tales became dr strange with issue 169 and marvel's space-born superhero captain marvel changed its name to captain marvel <laughs> at issue 7 1969 the origin of galactus is revealed in thor number 169 also the guardians of the galaxy debut like what the fuck uh, however, Doctor Strange was canceled this year, and the character didn't reappear for two years of publishing. Hmm. In 1970, now this is this is one that I just find weird. Conan joins the Marvel line in Conan the Barbarian number one. For a number of years, Marvel made a killing with Viking stories. Red Sonja, Cull, Conan. It was a thing, right? So they would lose the license at some point in the 80s. Conan would thrive at other companies for a number of years. They'd get it back in the 90s. They'd lose it again. They have it again now. I'm pretty sure that's just to make Jason Aaron happy. But much more interesting is the weird Hulk manga debuted that year. The Hulk manga is so fucking weird, it's never been reprinted. <laughs> Even Japan says this is too weird to reprint. So... I'm a big fan of anything that's too weird to reprint, and I will always stan a story like that. Guys, it's been phenomenal going through the annals of Marvel history with you. We have a chunk left to go, and then we're going to talk about Marvel's Incoming, which set the stage for Empire, their life-changing event in which we will see a whole lot of inevitably undone things occur. But until all then, it has not just been a blast having a new contributor on, but it's been great getting to look back on Marvel together. And until we all get a chance to come back together, Regina, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram at theredqueen underscore on underscore IG or on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G. Dylan, where can we find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men group called House of X that Regina helps me moderate. And you can also find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Kyle, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Trying to figure out where I fit into Marvel's history. <laughs> 
Aww. Or you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Or if you'd like to hear more of my voice, you can also check me out on the special holiday episode of HTML. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML or Wixes for Podcasts. Don't forget to check out my theme work on shows like Too Fast Too Forever, as well as my comic work over at KidRiotComics.com. You can check me out on Instagram at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. All right, folks. And until we're back, we'll see you. Bye. 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 Bye.